In the book of Luke, chapter number 9, verse 23 through 25, the scripture reads as follows. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Amen. The title of our message on today is The Believer's Cross. The Believer's Cross. We are often faced with this idea of utopia, right? You are told to do well in school, to excel at your studies, to go to college, and to aspire to some sense of higher academics so that you can either become a great business person or have a very, very nice job. And in and of themselves, those things are great and they're wonderful. We are told that once we graduate from college that we are to seek out financially sound employment. We are to purchase a home in the suburbs. We are to purchase a very economical car and maybe that family vehicle to transport everyone around. And so as believers, we are constantly inundated with that idea, and so we follow that same model. Am I saying that there's something wrong with that model? No, I'm not. But I fear that within the body, we have lost sight of what we have been promised. In America, I do believe that we have been lulled to sleep. As to what our Lord and Savior has stated would be our guarantee in this world. Never guaranteed that our life will go well. He never guaranteed us perfect health. He never guaranteed that our business would be one of the Fortune 500. But the one thing he has categorically promised to every believer is a cross. And that's what we want to speak of today. We want to drive our mind away from a worldly view to more of a heavenly mindedness on the things of Christ. A focusing in, if you will, as to what we are truly called to do. All of the things that I have aforementioned are good in and of themselves. But it must not be the focus of our life. Since the ascension of our Lord, his bride, the church, has been charged with the task of carrying out his will to the ends of the earth. This is seen with great veracity in the lives of the apostles and the first century Christians as they unashamedly proclaim glad tidings and good news to the world, the gospel of our salvation. 
Most assuredly, our hearts rejoice in their work. But one must consider the great cost paid by their faithfulness. The writer of Hebrews marks and makes this very plain to us in chapter number 11, verse 36 through 38, when he pins the selflessness of the first century saints. And the writer of Hebrews writes in chapter number 11 and verse 36 through 38, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. You see, they understood the great privilege of suffering for the sake of Christ. Even unto death, but more so unto life. In our text today, we will explore Christ's command to his disciples to deny themselves by picking up their cross daily and following him. We seek to do this in five ways. Number one, we will determine who this command to bear the cross is given. We will then determine the method by which the cross is to be borne. We will discuss the destructiveness of disobeying such a command. We will also discuss the blessedness of obedience towards this command. And lastly, we will show the superiority of the cross of Christ to this world's riches. If you would look in uh, verse number 23 of chapter number 9 of Luke. The scripture reads, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me. And I want to stop right there. Who is Jesus speaking to here? Who is Jesus speaking to in this passage? Well, there are several key giveaways. Many would say that he is simply speaking to his disciples. Not to be simply confused with the 12 who were apostles, but to all those who followed him, followed his teaching throughout the region. He said to all the individuals who were standing there, if any one of you would come after me. This phrase here is used in the imperfect tense, the active voice. It represents a continual and a repeated action. Jesus' statement here to all signifies his present and continual command to his disciples that will come after him that they must be and follow the path that he has laid. The command then is to all whose hearts is changed by grace, specifically both them, the first century church, and now 
the present church. You see, when Jesus says here that if any person would come after him, that he or she must bear a cross, this is not to be enlisted or understood in a singular sense. This is to be understood that every day, continually, repeatedly, you must bear this cross. He is saying to all of his disciples that it is not a one-act situation, but that it is a continual and ongoing caring that is taking place here. Literally, we will never finish bearing our cross until we have finished on this side of life. You see, in the imperfect tense that Jesus uses the phrase, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me. This is not just speaking of the first century church, but this is speaking of every believer whose hearts are changed by grace. If you are following Jesus now, today, you must pick up your cross and follow him. So the command is not giving generally to, the, to, to all mankind in one sense it may be, but in the more specific sense, it is given to the believers. In Romans chapter number 8 and verse 9, the apostle Paul says, and anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So again, the command of Jesus, that is a perpetual command. We, we know for most assuredly that, that the unbeliever cannot perform continually and repeatedly the commands of Christ. For the scripture makes it clear that if they do not bear his spirit, they are not his. And as we will later see in the text, that which Christ is calling them to cannot be performed apart from the Spirit of God. Again, it is echoed in Romans chapter number 8 and verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So then we see again that the Spirit of God is necessary to perform the things of God. For no man can follow after him save the Spirit of God has truly and unequivocally changed his nature. So then the natural impossibility to follow after Christ prohibits all whose hearts have not been changed by grace from seeking such a task and continuing therein. Why? Because to suffer for the sake of Christ must be granted. Philippians chapter number 1 and verse 29 makes it absolutely clear that it's not just simply been given unto us to believe on Christ, but it has also been equally granted to us to suffer for his namesake. 
You see, the command that Christ is perpetually giving is giving to his bride, is given to the church. It is an ongoing command. Where do you sit in the caring of your cross? Have you bought into this world's idea of what you should be most assuredly focused on? As we will later see in the B clause of verse number 23, Christ lays some very, very weighty truth upon his believers in this command. And apart from the spirit of God, no man can do it. And so in verse 23, the B clause of 23 says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the command of Jesus. This is the present and perpetual command of Christ. That you are not just picking up your cross today, but you are picking it up every day. There is no rest in the picking up of this cross. What is this cross? What is the method by which Christ calls us to bear this cross? It is in three parts. The first is to deny himself. This is used, this phrase, deny himself, is used in the aorist tense, the imperative mood. Meaning first that with regard to this command to deny oneself, there is no set time frame in which we ought to deny ourselves. It deals specifically with the present, and it also deals with the future. That because there is no set point in which we should deny ourselves, there is no ending point in which we should deny ourselves. Second, this imperative mood signifies a command to the hearer by the order and the authority of the one commanding. Hence, there is no limit to the extent in which we should be denying ourselves. Note, Jesus does not give a point of completion. He does not give us in this text a day of reprieve. He is calling us to deny ourselves today. He is calling us to deny ourselves tomorrow. He is then calling us to deny ourselves in the future. Deny ourselves for the purpose of what? This word here, to deny, is to forget oneself. To lose sight of oneself and one's interests. To forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and one's interests. This goes back to my first point. This is why Jesus is now speaking to those whose hearts have been saved by grace. What unregenerate, what lost person could forget themselves, could lose sight of themselves and their own interest? Who does such a thing? Save the spirit of God is in a man. It cannot be done. And so the idea here is that Jesus is empowering us 
to do what he has commanded us to do. Does this characterize your life? Are you denying yourself as it relates to the things of Christ? For his glory. In your home, husbands, are you denying yourself to serve your wives? In your home, wives, are you denying yourself to be submissive unto your husbands? You see, he does not give us a day of reprieve. There is no such thing as I have completed my task and my duty. Oh, no. He is calling us every moment of every hour of every day, today, tomorrow, and until he calls us home to be modules of self-denial. Does this characterize your life? Or do you live for your own affections? In your service to the church, do you deny yourself? In your service to the lost, do you deny yourself? You see, this is what Jesus is commanding both now and perpetually to his followers, to his disciples. You see, there is no end to this thing called self-denial. Again, to deny is to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and one's interests. You see, to the church, Jesus has given a great command. And that command is to go out into the nations, teaching all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. He has given us a mission. He has given us a purpose. And as I said in my opening, I'm almost fearful that we have lost sight of that purpose. Because we've got to buy our house in the suburban area. Because we are building our business. Because we want to be productive on our job, which is, which is great. And as we will see, that is a part of it. But it is also to take with it the persecution that comes. And as we will later see in the text, in the supporting text, that persecution is for the namesake of Christ. And so, the second aspect of this method by which we bear the cross is to carry it, to carry our cross. In the book of Matthew, chapter number 10 and verse 38, the scripture says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Matthew chapter number 10, verse 38 again, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, Jesus says to his disciples. He 
Here we do not speak of physical wood, but of spiritual persecution, suffering and dying to oneself, suffering and dying for the namesake of Christ. When we consider one aspect of denying ourselves, when we consider one aspect of carrying our cross, it is the idea, too, that we're boldly standing for the things of Christ in this world. Have you been lulled to sleep? Do you take on every opportunity for the cause of Christ in wisdom, in love? Or do you simply go along because it is the status quo? When you are at work, are you caring? Are you bearing your cross of self-denial? Or do you get involved with the, that's what she said, jokes? When the name of Christ is blasphemed, do you take opportunity to evangelize these individuals? When the name of Christ is defamed, do you suffer persecution with him? Do you identify with him by standing up against such opposition? Are you partaking in the suffering of Christ? Are you partaking in the carrying of the cross? You see, Christ carried a cross of wood. You see, Christ was placed on the cross and his nails was pierced his hand and his feet. Will you suffer the same persecution for him? as he has suffered for you. As I was preparing this message, several aspects of the suffering of Christ and those who have carried their cross well comes to mind. As we think of our country and the great tribulation that we've seen in so many schools around the country, Columbine, Virginia Tech, even unto the Sudans of Africa, the home churches of China, you see, they bear their cross well. Even unto the point of death. Are you bearing your cross today? You see, when you search the scriptures, this constant tone and mantra of suffering is always spoken to the believers. I had to ask myself internally, do I face any persecution? Do I face any suffering? And my reply to myself was sometimes yes and sometimes no. Sometimes yes when I stand up for the things of Christ. Many times no when I just let it slide. Are you carrying your cross? The carrying of one's cross takes on differing complexions from person to person. 
But the base reality is consistently the same for the sake of Christ. The usage of heinous, of a heinous torturing tool to bring clear imagery of the extent in which some will be called to suffer signifies that Christ cares for us. He makes known to us what he is calling us to. You see, Christ is calling us to be sheep to the slaughter as lambs to the shearest. If you would, turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 15 and verse 18, and let us call your attention to the words of Christ. The book of John, chapter number 15, verse 18 through 21. And here is the words of our Lord. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. Here Jesus prepares his disciples for the coming persecution. It is not just a prepare, a preparation for them, it is a pre- preparation for us today. Make no mistake, the world does hate us. And the only way we will see its hatred towards us revealed is when we are light to their darkness. When we are salt to their unsavoriness when we are truth to their error, when we are love to their hatred. This is the words of our Lord to his disciples, to us. If we look further here in verse, in chapter number 16 of the same book of John, verses 1 through 4, The scripture says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And again, the Lord Jesus Christ prepare his apostles and his disciples for the persecution to come. It is also a preparation for us. 
that as we have been called to unite with Christ in the bearing of a cross, just as we have been called to be united with him in the resurrection from the dead. You see, no servant gets away with anything less than his master has suffered. You see, no servant gets away with any less than which his master has suffered. If he has suffered these things, it is simply because he is the perfect and spotless Lamb of God which takes away our sins. And he bore his cross well. If we today are bearing our cross well, if we are denying ourselves, if we are picking up our cross, would it not stand to reason that we too should suffer and be suffering some sense of persecution. Might I surmise to you where there is no persecution in the slightest sense, if your life is characterized as just simply being good, oh, it's okay, it's lovely. Might I surmise that you may be laying your cross down somewhere? Maybe you're not picking it up on that day. Do you see what Christ called his disciples to in chapter number 15 and chapter number 16? When you think of the persecution that you faced in your life, when you've been with those family members and you have given them the gospel, do you remember their response to you? When you have sought to evangelize the lost, do you remember their response to you? It wasn't that of pleasantry, I could almost assure you. Do you see what you are called to? The third method by which he has called us is the action of following him. This is used in the present tense. Yet in the full framework of the text, its construct is noted as keep following me. You see, Christ has called us to deny ourselves and to do this by picking up something spiritually. That is the suffering. That is the ridicule that comes with the name of Christ. And he then commands us to bear it in such a way that we not only follow him today, but that we keep following him more and more in light of that which comes our way. And the word follow, it carries with it the idea to follow one who proceeds to join him as his attendant, accompanying him to side with his party. So when Christ is calling us to pick up our cross daily and to follow him, this is not some abstract concept away from Christ. It is to join in the sufferings of Christ the same way he walked the road, we ought to walk it as well. This is not where you get to determine how the following of Christ looks, but that you look at his example 
that you follow in his footsteps. That you join yourself to what he is doing as an attendant. You are accompanying him on this road. That you are side by side with him in that same party. So when we look at the work of Christ, what did he do? Where did he go? How did he respond to the culture? The idea is that we are following in the same light. How does that look? Turn with me to Philippians chapter number three and verse number eight. The Apostle Paul will lay this out for us very clearly, very plainly. It's not that we are following Christ in a way that makes us comfortable, in a way that we know, in a way that we feel good about. But the idea is that we are following Christ and we're walking in his footsteps just as he has walked. We so also walk. In Philippians chapter number three and verse number eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in the sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. As Paul deals here with the righteousness that is found in Christ Jesus, he does not escape the fact that there is some suffering that is attached with it. It signifies that the suffering may be the shaping method by which we start to look like Jesus. Might I add that Paul says, I don't just want to know him in the power of his resurrection, but he also says that I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Why is that? Because if we can fellowship with him, as Paul says, in his suffering, it yet signifies that we have joined ourselves to him and we are walking as he. You see, to walk like Christ is to be accompanied with him in every way. As we have been accompanied to him in the resurrection from the dead, we are also accompanying him in the fellowship of his suffering. 
we are walking like him because there is a desire to be like him in every way. How are you following Christ? Have you determined how that looks? Or has the framework of the gospel determined that for you? Are you following afar off where you have determined how the carrying of the cross looks for you? Or are you, as the terminology signifies, in close company with the suffering of Christ? I don't want you to take from this this idea that I need to now go out and create some uh, uh, erroneous error by which I can, can now receive some flack and flogging and mocking, okay? We don't want you to go opus day on this, okay? We don't need you to produce your own suffering. We don't need you to go out and to just uh, simply be radicals and inciting riot. But I do mean to call you to every aspect of your life to view in light of the scripture. Are you making much of Christ? You have no day of reprieve from making much of Christ. There is no completion in the making much of Christ. You see, he has called us to a cross. And he has called us to bear it well. And so the method by which we are to bear the cross is to deny ourselves. It is to actively and continually take on the things of Christ. And it is to follow him in walking after his own footsteps, that he now is the one whose steps precede us. And so, it is in verse 24 that we find the destructiveness of disobedience to this command. If you would, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 18 and verse number 18. My desire in prayer is that as we, as we walk through the scripture that you are to some degree Convicted. Unto the point of change, unto the point of seeing that daily you are called to walk as Jesus. You see, the destructiveness of, of disobeying this command is found in the life of the rich young ruler. And it reads as follows in verse number 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said then, Who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, the rich young ruler could go only so far. But the call to Christ and to follow him and to pick up our cross may cost us dearly. For some of you, it may cost us that promotion. It may cause us ill feelings with our family. It may cost us to lose friends, but nevertheless, Christ has called us to that. Are you salt to an unsavory world? Are you light in darkness? When you look back over the framework of your sanctification, is your light becoming dimmer? You see, the destructiveness of disobeying this command. Jesus said very simply in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 38, that if you do not pick up your cross, you're not worthy, he says, to follow me. This is not some spiritual litmus test. It's just a factual reality. That the believing one has a desire to pick up their cross. And that where we fail, we are called to repentance and to faithfully exercise this duty. Remember who has called us and what he has commanded us to. His authority he has placed upon his word. And we must humbly submit to it and desire above all things, to fulfill it. How do you view the cross of Christ? How do you view self-denial? Is it only until the point of uncomfortability? Or do we go to the point that it crushes us? 
You see, our Lord and Savior has called us to that. He has called us unto the point that it crushes us, unto the point that we give out. And there is nothing left. He is perpetually calling the believers to bear their cross and to bear it well. You see, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will save it. Now, this is a paradoxical statement. How do I save my life and yet lose it? And how do I lose my life and yet save it? Seems somewhat paradoxical. I thought that if I saved it, I, 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 I surely couldn't have lost it. But Jesus is saying here that if you seek to save your life in this world, if you seek the life without a cross in this world, yes, you may make much in this world. But eternally, he says that you've lost. But to the one who is eternally willing to pour out of him and herself in this world, to lose everything in this world, Jesus says, yes. Now you have truly gained eternal life. Remember the rich farmer in the Gospels who gained great abundance in this world. <laughs> Yet he lost everything in the next. You want to know if you're carrying your cross well? You want to go home and have some reflective time on whether you are carrying your cross well? What is dominating your thoughts and your minds and your actions? Is it for this world's goods and this world's riches? Is it for more of this world? You say, well, James, I have to work and I have to feed my family. Yes, you do. But are you doing it in light of carrying your cross? What do I mean? You see, we have to feed our family because it has been commanded to be good stewards over what we have and to provide for our family. But do we do it all in the framework of Christ? As I constantly challenge the saints that Christ-centered When you work, are you working to provide for your family because that is what you rely on? Are you working to amass wealth because that's what you trust in? That is a good test for ourselves. That which we do, are we looking to see Christ in? Hmm. Or is the cross an afterthought? And so it is. In verse number 25, where we will close. In verse number 25 of chapter 9 of Luke, it says, 
For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You see, this is Paul's view of things in Philippians chapter number 3. For the sake of Christ, I don't want to have anything that separates me from his truth, from his love, from his grace, from his call. Paul says he sees it all as rubbish, as trash, compared to Christ. Do you view this world's goods in such a light? Or do you trust in it? Do you rest in it? Did you, do you look for it? Do you every waking moment desire it? You see, we have been called to be lights of the world. We have been called to be that, that city on the hill for all the world to see. We have not been called to assimilate in a culture and be like them and act as them. We have been called to assimilate in a culture to be different from them, to draw them to Christ. Where's your focus? You see, Paul saw in Philippians chapter 3 the superiority of Christ's cross to this world's riches. He wanted to suffer just like Christ did in every way imaginable. Because he wanted to be like Christ in every way imaginable. Is that your heart's desire? Or is it just to be comfortable in this world? And to do just enough to make you feel good? Or are you willing to be uncomfortable for Christ? To be willing to give it all up? To know him in that way? You see, we live in a land of riches and wealth, power and prestige. We go to McDonald's as we will. We go through the drive-through twice, three times a week. Everything is so easy. Could it be that we've watered down our view of the cross just a little bit? Could it be that we don't see the importance of it? Maybe just a little bit. You see, every believer has been promised a cross. He's been promised, she's been promised some suffering. Can I say to you today that if there's no semblance in your life, some semblance of suffering, just a, just a wee bit, that maybe you're not following after Christ 
as diligently as we once did. Maybe we've gotten cool in our service to the saints. It's possible. Maybe we've gotten cool to our evangelism to the lost. It's possible. Maybe we are not loving our wives as well as we ought to and ought to always want to. It's possible. Maybe we're not submitting to our husbands as we ought to and ought to want to. It's possible. You see, every one of us has got a cross to bear, and the complexion of it is different. But the base and foundation is the same. It is for the namesake of Christ. What is your cross? Are you bearing it well? Or have you laid it down by the wayside? You see, Christ walked up to Golgotha's hill with a wooden cross so that you and I could walk throughout our life with his cross. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we thank you and we love you. We humbly submit to the gospel call. Lord, you have promised us a cross in this world. You have promised us some suffering of some sort. You have called us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow you. Father, I know that in myself that I failed in many times and in many ways. But I thank you for the call of the gospel that brings me back to this reality. That you have eternally and perpetually commanded us to bear this cross well. Father, where we have been lulled to sleep, wake us up. Where we have gone into spiritual somber and slumber, Father, give us a fire again. A fire for the things that are concerning you. Not just on making it in this world. Father, for those who have said and have heard this message proclaimed, whose hearts are far from you, We pray that you would change them by grace. That you would call them unto yourself. That you would empower these words to make them alive. So they too might partake in the fellowship of the suffering of Christ so that we can be just like him in every way. Father, empower your word to do what only you can. And we pray, Father, that you would do all these things for your glory and for our joy. For truly, Father, you do all things well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.